Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature an interesting, thought-provoking and clinically relevant conversation to enhance your speech pathology practice. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's Speak Up Conversation. I'm Mary Woodward, Speech Pathology Australia's Senior Advisor Justice. I'm speaking from the land of the Gurungai people, and I'd, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands, seas and waters across Australia and pay my respects to elders past, present and future. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by a wonderful group of speech pathologists working in youth justice settings across Australia. We have Sarah Maybury from New South Wales Youth Justice. Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me. I'm speaking today here on Dark and Young Land. We have Marcella Lau and Dr. Emma Shimke from the Queensland Youth Justice Southwest Regional Community Services. Good morning, Mary. Um, Emma and I are coming to you from Yagara and Turbul country this morning. And we have Melissa Saliba from Communities and Justice in South Australia. Good morning. Um, it's Melissa here and I'm coming from Ghana land in South Australia. I'd like to start by finding out a bit about what the role of a speech pathologist in a justice setting typically involves. I'm sure that you could all speak to that. Um, Maybe we'll start off with Sarah. Yeah, so thanks, Mary. So I um, work work in a youth justice centre which has young people aged 15 to 21. Um, the majority are 15 to 17. So typically they present with oral language and literacy difficulties, which very often impacts their vocabulary, their ability to make requests and express their needs, expressing frustration, and often a lot of difficulties understanding all the things they're told and instructed to do um, throughout the day in a very verbal environment. Um, Some of the young people also have unresolved speech sound errors or occasionally difficulties with stuttering. And of course, as we all know, working in this area, most of the young people we come across, um, people who've come to the attention of youth justice do have a history of complex trauma. Um, And along with that comes difficulties forming relationships and with emotional regulation, which in turn impacts their engagement in programs and sessions and schooling and maintaining relationships. So there's a lot we can see there through that uh, communication lens. Um, So as far as the work I do with these young people and the assessments I would be using, it's uh, quite different to other settings I've really ever worked in. The assessments I do are really generally fairly informal, um, using picture prompts, looking at vocabulary range and complexity, looking at how they go and understanding different types of questions, giving an explanation, giving a recount. Um, I'm in a very fortunate position too where I work on the units with young people so I can sit down and have lunch with them or play a card game or have an impromptu chat and that way get to do a lot of observational assessment along the way. One um, resource that I really love using is Talking Mats, which really helps to keep the focus on what the young person wants and what's important to them and to show them that their voice is important. I find that sometimes young people are not used to being asked what's important to them and um, some of the work that we do might be helping them to think through that. So the assessment process itself can often be quite therapeutic in this setting. Fantastic. Emma, do you have anything to add? Yeah, so with the intervention side of things, we often work on 
client-centered goals that are really meaningful to the young person. So that might look at supporting them with goals to help them with their functional participation in a range of different settings or youth justice-specific goals. So an example of a youth justice-specific goal might be helping support a young person to attend court and understand what the judge is saying to them. So often a lot of the legal words in a court setting can be quite low-frequency words that are abstract in nature and difficult for, you know, the average person to understand. Um, Or we might help a young person understand the actions that they need to do as a result of the youth justice order that they're on. We also play a big role in helping young people transition and reintegrate back into the community when they are released from detention. As some of the goals that I've supported young people with have been helping them go back to school, helping them to get a job. So that might look at uh, different employment readiness skills, including helping them with interview skills, understanding workplace expectations, and even um, how to create a resume and what the purpose of a resume is. Recently, I helped a young person sit their learner's license test. Uh, I've also supported uh, helping young people fill out forms, including Centrelink forms independently. In doing these goals, we often work closely with a lot of different stakeholders, which can often help the young person when there's lots of people on board to support them in the community. So some of the people we work with might include caseworkers, youth workers, our child safety staff, the young person's family, their community, our teachers, the NDIS, and also cultural support officers. Often some of these stakeholders actually might not be aware that the young person's having trouble with their communication because young people could, you know, be quite good at disguising their difficulties. So a big part of the role will also be supporting those stakeholders in understanding that young person's speech, language and communication needs. Brilliant. Uh, You mentioned the importance of of helping a young person transition from a detention um, centre to a community setting. Marcella and Melissa, I know that you've both worked in both um, youth justice community settings and in detention centres. I'm just wondering, interested to find out what some of the key differences are between working in those two different settings. Yeah, sure. This is Marcella here. Um, I had the opportunity of working at Brisbane Youth Detention Centre for about 12 months before I started my role as a community-based speech pathologist for youth justice. And I think for me, I really found that there was a a bit more of a focus on assessment in the detention setting. Um, And I think that's probably because usually that's an optimal time to assess a young person's cognition and communication skills um, while they're at baseline. So um, potentially when they're not um, using uh, substances. Um, Whereas in the community, I found that the focus shifted quite heavily to intervention um, where we focused on like the daily living skills of a young person's um, everyday routine. So um, that might be supporting them to understand their youth justice orders. It could be looking at budgeting for the week, uh, doing meal planning, potentially reading a recipe together, doing things like, yeah, preparing for their prep L's, um, creating job resumes and um, helping them, supporting them to uh, attend job interviews and even something as simple as um, being able to attend a full day of school successfully um, is a important goal. 
Uh, I think another um, uh, when working with this population, um, safety is a huge priority for both the young person and staff. Um, but how the safety considerations affect intervention in detention versus community can look quite different. So for young people who are remanded in the detention centre, it can obviously be a very traumatising experience um, and affect the young person's mental health quite significantly. So um, again, I found that in the detention setting, there was a much uh, heavier focus on checking in on the young person's welfare um, and managing any like self-harm or suicide ideation risks or challenging behaviours. So I often worked alongside psychologists to develop a behaviour support plan um, and I would also support young people to develop their emotional literacy um, and be able to clearly communicate how they were feeling. Fantastic. Melissa, is that similar to, to your experience of the two different settings? Uh, yes, and I think a different context in South Australia is that um, as the sole speech pathologist in um, the team, I work both in the detention centre and in the community at the same time. So um, it enables me to follow through with young people as they um, may um, exit the detention centre and then re-enter. Um, and the other Thing that I found interesting as I was listening um, was because I work, you know, we have an OT in our team. So some of the things that were listed um, might be um, like daily living skills, maybe more in the domain of the occupational therapist that works in the team. Um, but in terms of adding to what was said, um, I think from a logistical perspective, um, something that differs between the two environments is because of the structure and the routine that occurs in a detention centre. Um, on one hand, it's actually easier to have access and frequency of contact with young people. Um, on the other hand, there can be restrictions um, with time and when you can and cannot see young people. Um, but um, it tends to be like, you know, they're there so you can f have access to them. Whereas in community, sometimes the transient nature of the young people and the complexities in their life um, can make it difficult, more difficult to connect with them depending on what's going on in their life. So, and as mentioned, um, sometimes in communities, substance use might be more um, present than obviously when you're in the detention centre. And the other great thing about the community is that you can work with young people in natural environments. So, um, there's more flexibility to be able to um, see young people in environments that they may be more comfortable in or may give you um, really functional information um, or if you're even just at the stage of still just building a relationship you can just kind of go to the local fast food place and just grab some food and hang out a little bit just to build relationship um, prior to explicitly working on any therapeutic goals. Brilliant, thank you. But this isn't a field we would necessarily advise early career speech pathologists to work in, and unless there's a, a larger team with adequate supervision and support in place. So presumably you've all come from working in other sectors. I'm interested how your skills have transferred from the areas of practice you were previously working in. Um, Marcella, I might jump to you again to start us off. 
Yeah, so for a number of years uh, prior to this role, I worked in the private sector with mostly NDIS clients um, across the lifespan and also in community. So um, I think one of the key skills that I've been able to transfer across to my current role is being able to deliver therapy in a range of community-based contexts and environments. And so um, I'm I'm conducting my sessions um, at flexi schools, conducting home visits. Um, I might see the young person at the service centre or um, even at the local park. And that really allows me to assess the client's functional skills um, in that environment and be able to work closely as well with the young person's uh, support network um, and capacity building um, with them so that they can implement um, any communication strategies that I might recommend. Um, And I think working community, you have to be really flexible and adaptable, um, especially in the youth justice context. Lots of things are changing all the time um, and not just legislation, like the young person's needs or circumstances might also change um, overnight. Um, so it's really important or a skill that I've um, really had to hound in on is just meeting the person where they're at mentally and just checking in and making sure, um, seeing whether they're ready um, for the session or, or for the goals that we're working on. And Melissa, you came from a, a slightly different background, didn't you? Yeah, um, so I worked um, in mental health for a while and then um, also in early childhood and um, concurrently whilst youth justice I've been working in education in a high school setting, specifically focusing on literacy intervention. Um, and I concur with everything Marcel has said. <laughs> um, but also, and in addition, um, I, I was... I think, yeah, that's being able to work in a holistic way is probably the biggest thing that um, has been transferred from the mental health setting when we think about the complexities um, um, of the young people and what they bring in terms of their behaviour, emotional regulation, their educational experience, disability, um, potentially um, trauma experiences. So being able to see a young person as a whole and responding to their needs in that context is is important. And obviously having some awareness of uh, mental health and also working in a team with psychologists and using our team members around that as well. Um, so the other um, thing I, I think from an education perspective is obviously um, like word reading and literacy and um, reading comprehension A high number of young people um, in youth justice um, have difficulties with this, even just being able to read words, um, perhaps due to disability or due to um, low attendance at school throughout their life um, or other reasons. And so having a really good knowledge of the simple view of reading and and, evidence-based ways to improve word reading and reading comprehension and um, that information can then assist with intervention with young people or also when advocating for young people in the education system um, or working alongside the education system for that for the best outcomes possible for that young person in terms of literacy as it is a protective factor. Absolutely that brings me to my next question actually because you were were talking about the importance of of considering um, literacy just wondering about other possible topics of professional development that if someone if someone is sitting out there listening to this podcast thinking oh wow I really wish I could um 
work in youth justice and I, I want to make sure that I, I'm as prepared as I can be. And they might be considering professional development. So what different topics of professional development might prepare someone for a role in, in youth justice? Melissa, you'd started to talk about this a little bit, so I'll, I'll bring it back to you. Sure. Um, so I think trauma-informed practice is really important, as well as cultural responsiveness. And then there are some trainings you can do in terms of the tools of the trade in a way. So things like talking mats, um, easy English, obviously um, literacy-based things. I've been Sounds Right trained and I find that really great working with the adolescent population. Um, and then other um, trainings that come up around mental health um, or neurodevelopmental disabilities, FASD, autism, anything to do with DLD, which I'm sure um, our speeches would already have under their belts. Emma, I'm just wondering if, if from you've come from a different background, so I'm wondering if you have other ideas of professional development people might um, might benefit from. Yeah, I guess um, Melissa covered a lot of the areas that I feel have been really important for training in the Queensland youth justice space, but just adding to what she's shared already. Um, I think just for people to be aware that we still do use some of those core clinical practice skills, as Melissa mentioned earlier, around reading. So um, having, I guess, a good understanding of reading comprehension and also adolescent language development and how to carry out intervention um, for receptive and expressive language difficulties. Also, uh, it would be really helpful for people considering professional development to have an understanding of working with multilingual young people. There's In our um, space, there's a lot of young people who use English as an additional language or dialect, and there's lots of different considerations for when we are delivering assessment and treatment. So it really can sometimes change the way we might um, interpret or approach an assessment or uh, I guess the way we will work with a family and the young person. And I guess finally, having an understanding of the youth justice framework and legislation could be quite helpful. Um, this would look probably quite different in each state, but just, I guess, depending on what state you're in, just being aware of what legislation exists in youth justice and the history around youth justice. Brilliant. Thank you. Emma, big question this. I'm just wondering what you most enjoy about the role. Oh, that's, um, that's, I guess, a question that I have, like, there's so many things I love about the role, but if I was to pick a few things, uh, one of the main things would be, I just love empowering young people to develop functional goals that are really meaningful to them. And it's really exciting and reward rewarding when you do see a young person succeed in a life outside of detention. I think it's really great that we do have the uh, capacity to be able to work with people in the young person's community and with their family to help them achieve these goals. Another thing I really love about the role is being involved in projects, innovation and advocacy for speech pathology in Queensland Youth Justice. So Marcella and I have been involved in a range of exciting projects which have included things like developing easy English documents and visuals for staff within the watch houses in our region. Uh, we've also supported teachers and facilitators who are running flexi school and transition to work programs. 
And we also do a lot of uh, education and training to youth workers and caseworkers around how best to support a young person's communication. I think it's really rewarding when we, I guess, come along to um, a service centre in the region and we can actually see one of the staff members utilising those strategies when they are interacting with a young person. Absolutely. Seeing it put into practice must be very rewarding. Yes. Sarah, how about you? What do you enjoy the most about working in youth justice? Um, yeah, similarly, it's a really hard question to narrow down because I really, I really love this role, and um, I think it's just such a really, for me, a very different way of working with young people, and it's actually very flexible, which. I'm a bit surprised that I'm saying that because when I first started, I felt like I was really restricted in what I could do in terms of what resources I could bring in, the ways I could work. But being able to be flexible around, as I said earlier, I can my sessions can look like um, sitting at a table with a bunch of young people, um, watching them play cards or having a young person explain to me how to play the card game or just, um, yeah, just watching, um, spending time with them, watching what goes on, looking at what's What's, what's actually impacting each young person? Why are they, you know, getting in trouble all the time? What are the communication support needs that we could sort of advocate for or put in place to be able to help um, make a difference for that young person on the, the everyday living in custody? And I think so. I find that really, really rewarding. I also get to work with an amazing group of people with uh, a huge multidisciplinary team Um so I love that. I work closely with the youth officers and unit managers and the psychologists and caseworkers and occupational therapists, um, the Aboriginal practice officers, Justice Health. So there's lots of people um, all kind of working with the young person and we're really working on trying to um, support young people to have some goals and everyone kind of contributes to it from their different um, angles and expertise. So I really love that. Um, I really love seeing a young person um, start to be able to accept praise and feel proud of themselves for things that they do. I think that's just one of the really, um, really nice things that, that I get to see. Um, and being able to then for them to share that with someone else and to see how proud they are when they, you know, they've learned how to, um, you know, they, to do something that they didn't think they could do. They've improved with their reading enough that they can read out the, um, we have, we have a, we have a meeting every fortnight with the young people and the unit I work on and seeing a young person step up to chair the meeting for the first time. You know, those little things are just um, really wonderful. The impact um, on, not that on a young person's self-esteem must be huge. Being able oh, to, yes, yes. To achieve um, like it's, really, it's really amazing. And that young person would never be the one that maybe would have been picked in another environment to be someone mm. to take that role. So that's, that's really lovely to see. Um, I think there's also times when we, when we talk, when we're doing assessment and, um, assessments, I think I mentioned before, often it's quite therapeutic in itself because you're talking about, well, what's been going on for you? What, what has happened in your life that maybe does, has made some of these things more challenging for you? And to see some of that, um, defensiveness come down when you can give that messaging of, you know, that school was hard for you because school didn't work for you sort of thing, not necessarily because, um, you didn't have the skills and just trying to sort of just navigate all that with them and trying to unpack a lot of the the shame and the the, fe- the negative feelings about themselves that have that have come into place um oh one other quick thing i really love it too when um i get a request from another center or a, a project team or or someone in my center just to say oh can you help support me with this young person trying to explain um 
something like a child protection register expectations or um, or they say, hey, we've got this video we've put together for young people. Can you have a look and see if we can make it more young person friendly or um, people request to help review documents? So I love it. When, you know, you see that this big organisation has people all over it who are really trying to, um, you know, all, we're all sort of on the heading the same direction. So that's that's really lovely too. And I suppose that also um, is testament to, to people seeing the positive impact that that speech pathology can have and that then, mm. then they're asking for your input on other things. Yeah. So I suppose that then brings us to, to my final question. Um, <clears throat> another big one. <laughs> mm. I, I guess I'm wondering what you would like to do more of if you had additional time or, or resources. Sarah, yeah. I'm not- I'll start with you on that one. Yeah, sure. So I um, I would love to have more speech pathologists, um, which would be great to have a team of us. Um, I this is a this is a big goal, but I think we can do it. I would love to see every single youth justice document have an easy English option for young people, yeah. um, and that and extending out to the court court and and police even as well. And I would love to see education, um, with court officers and p- police officers, um about DLD, about complex trauma, about uh, communication support needs. I think that would be really, um, be amazing to see. And just I to think, clarify for, for any listeners, when we're saying DLD, we mean developmental oh, language sorry. disorder. Yes, thank you, Mary. Um, <laughs> I I would love to um, have the capacity to, to develop a lot more resources. I'd love to see a standardised assessment that wasn't, um, or that actually assessed what the sort of things that we'd love that we need to know about young people in custody that really um, can uh, really help us to evaluate and measure, you know, the things that the, the skills that we that we see commonly coming up as um, you know being difficult for young people. Some really and some things that are culturally appropriate, culturally safe, and and just appropriate to this just really um, specific kind of population of young people. Um, yeah, that's a few things that I can think of. Thanks, Sarah. Marcella, yeah. how about you? Is there anything else that you'd like to do if if time and resources were limitless? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, for me, it's just being able to spend more time with the young people, um, just doing the activities they love. Um, I guess young people, mm-hmm. especially this cohort of young people, are extremely relationship-driven. So I found that when I've been able to um, go in and just um, kick back, as they call it, and just hang out and mm-hmm. play cards, mm-hmm. Um, or just talk about um, the painting that they're doing, um, it really builds a positive working relationship. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, just having more time to do that um, really then um, helps uh, our future intervention sessions. So, yeah, if I had more time, that's what I'd love to do. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And just before we end, I should add that we have lots of resources on the Speech Pathology Australia website for speech pathologists or other people who might be interested in in the role of speech pathology and justice. So please take a look or contact me for more information if you'd like. Sarah, Marcella, Emma and Melissa, thank you so much for speaking with me and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back with another Speak Up conversation next week. Thank you. See you later. Thank Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Please be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast and share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for listening and bye for now.